2: Welcome to another episode of the Under the Dome podcast. I am your host. I am Ben Belden, and you can find me on Twitter at bbelden330. Make sure that you're following the podcast on Twitter as well, at Dome underscore ND. Make sure you're checking out my work and the work of my two guests. who I will bring in here in a second at slapthesign.com. I always feel really excited at this time of year, and this year it is maybe even a little bit different because we have just such a great group of guys over at SlapTheSign.com. I want to make sure that we give a shout-out to one of our newest writers, Paul Walsh, for bringing in his the ad- first addition to his family, Notre Dame recruiting class of 2037, I think it is. That's Paul Walsh Jr. He was just born today. So... Shout-out to Paul and his new son and uh, his wife, of course, as well. All that being said, I want to introduce our two co-hosts today. Joining me is the esteemed, as always, Nathan Erbach. And also, you know, we've got a three-person panel today. We've got Jack, not Leinart, but Lennyart. Guys, uh, how are you doing today?
1: I'm on cloud nine, Ben. Uh, My excitement level before the season usually increases exponentially leading up to the opener and as Notre Dame football is one to do it'll eventually come back down to earth at some point in the coming weeks and months but for the time being I'm doing pretty well.
2: Great Nathan how are you?
1: Uh, doing well man like Irish football on Saturday it's
3: hard to not be excited so uh, getting pretty pumped like it's hard to go to work this week because uh all you want to do is leave and then not Go
2: in on Saturday. So, <laughs> true that, true that. So, uh, before we get started here, we uh, I'm going to insert this little ad. Got to pay the bills, and then we'll be right back with some content. The Under the Dome podcast is thankful to the great people at Electric Sound who graciously donated audio equipment and accessories to help make this podcast sound awesome. If you're in the market for audio consulting, the purchasing or renting of equipment, or any other audio needs, make sure that you check out their website at Electrosound.com. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-Sound.com. All right, so we're back, and I think the thing that we wanted to, or at least I wanted to talk about, that has become quite a hot button issue. And um, sometimes I sort of don't know how much credence I give to this hot-button issue, but it's a hot-button issue nonetheless, is the somewhat unique quarterback situation that Notre Dame finds themselves as having ahead of this Michigan game. So to catch everyone up to speed, within the last, I guess about the last week or so, Brian Kelly has had some interesting comments starting, I think it was last Thursday, In an interview where he said if we have to use both Brandon Wimbush and Ian Book in the game to beat Michigan or any other team, we'll do it, but that Brandon Wimbush unequivocally is still the starter, he's still the guy, he's the guy that they are designing the offense around, they're going to play to his strengths this year. But I think what some people heard and some fans feel is that this is going to turn into a not enviable Malik Zaire slash Deshaun Kaiser type of situation. And, you know, there's the old saying that says, if you don't have, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you actually don't have any quarterbacks. Um, if you don't have a good starter, you don't have any. So, I don't know. Um, I have some mixed emotions about this. I've written on it a little bit. I think you guys have probably, you know, you're aware of how I feel about this, but I'll elaborate in a second. But before I do that, I wanted to get you guys' feel on Brian Kelly's comments, the quarterback situation going forward and everything in between. So, uh, Nathan, let's start with you.
3: Yeah. Um, I think for a lack of a better word, his comments were a little overrated by fans and even by some media members. Um, I the way I took it was that they are comfortable with book if he has to play, whether that's by injury or, you know, or maybe in a game time situation similar to like the Everett Golson, Tommy Reese. Um, and I know me, you, we kind of have spoken about that, and probably will speak about that here in a few minutes. But um, I think I think Wimbush is the clear cut starter. Um, I think it's you know, I think Notre Dame's going to mold their offense to Brandon Wimbush, um, you know, and then if some extraneous circumstances hit, then I think that they're comfortable going to Bush. But I do think that they would actually end up changing the offense to meet what Book is capable of doing. So if they ever end up going to Book for whatever reason, I do think that the the Irish team will look a lot different and, you know, expectations will have to change for, for
1: fans, whether, you know, whether that's in a good or bad way.
2: Jack, your thoughts? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think Brian Kelly, when he made those initial comments, thought he was kind of stating the obvious. And then he he backtracked a little bit and, and sort of like reaffirmed that Wim Bush was going to be the starter once he realized that people were kind of freaking out about it. But I, I think I viewed this as just, I mean, us as writers and as fans, we we tend to, to overreact um, in the time leading up to the season just because, I mean, we get to see you know a snap of football be played yet, so I mean, we're really just working on these sound bites from the press conferences and the reports we get from practice. So I really wasn't all too concerned when I heard the news. I, I think what he the message he was trying to get across is that he was confident in, in, in both players um, if they needed to to, to to you know both help the team win a game. And like I said, I, I think he was just stating the obvious there.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with kind of parts of what both of you said. I, you know, part of of me when I heard what was said, I just kind of was like, well, duh. I mean, if Brandon is playing well and you don't have to put Ian Book in the game, that's what's going to happen. And I was like, okay, so no, no news here. But as I, as I listened a little bit and I, you know, I've read the tea leaves just a certain extent, I don't know if there's maybe like just maybe even the tiniest little subliminal message here that... If Brian Kelly was completely comfortable with Brandon Wimbush, you know, maybe he wouldn't have said, you know, exactly what he said. And to Jack's point, to a certain extent, like it's almost felt like he said it, let like his actual thought process out. And then in the back of his mind was like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. I got to do some uh, damage control to a certain extent about what I've said here. It just sort of seems to me to a certain extent like he is prepared for Brandon Wimbush to... Underperform, I guess. And that, I guess, raised a little bit of a red flag that if your coach is putting the, I guess, I, I don't know what I would call it exactly, but if he is trying to soften a potential blow by, you know, in him making a switch in game one or whatever game it might end up being. And he's throwing that out there a week and a half or whatever it is before the first game. That's, that's a little bit concerning to me. So I don't know. I I don't necessarily know that I'm overly concerned, but at the same time I do find it interesting that he would say that, but then also be so steadfast. It It just gives me the, it gives the appearance, I guess, that he didn't necessarily mean what he was saying, and like almost felt stupid about it, and had to backtrack. Does, does any do any of you get that feeling?
3: Um, I was gonna. I didn't listen to the the press conference um, well, when these quotes were out there. I kind of just saw everything like via social media. But my original thought process, and like, correct me if I'm wrong if either of you listened to it, but I took it as someone proposed a question to him about the quarterback situation and possibly even, you know, is Brandon Wimbush, you know, is there a chance that Book plays? And I think I think Brian Kelly was just reaffirming his confidence in Ian Book if he had to play. And, 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 I, and, I, and I, to, to be completely honest, I think that's really all there was to it in in his mind. I think a lot of the times as coaches and I know that it's happened with Brian Kelly a lot in his tenure at Notre Dame is you know they say something and maybe it's portrayed poorly um or said poorly by him and then it's portrayed you know in that way by fans and I think fans just have a, a way of you know wanting to read too much into what what a coach says at times and I think that's really what's going on.
2: Yeah, and I I to, to your point, I think that is fair what you're saying. I think the uh I think the media members. I mean, you were right. It was posed in a question, if, if I'm not mistaken. And I think, you know, honestly, like the follow up questions that came after that, really, I guess, probably are what Brian was like. Oh man, um, <laughs> this is that's that's not what I meant, and you guys are taking it in a completely different direction. I do think there was a certain degree of that, uh, Jack. Do you have any other thoughts?
1: No, I think we're all in agreement here, and I, I think everyone would agree that Wimbush really gives this offense the, the most potential, but I mean, there's always going to be that concern that he's not going to be able to perform at a high level just based on his uh, last few performances at the end of last season. So, I mean, I, I think the coaching staff and, and us as fans know that Wimbush Bush really gives us, um, you know, the best chance uh, to succeed and gives the offense the best chance to be more dynamic and, caused a problem for opposing defenses, but, um, I mean, he, he kind of has to do some work to restore that faith. Absolutely.
2: I'm going to ask two follow-up questions to each of you kind of off of this. So, you know, I'm going to start with this one and you guys know how I sort of feel on this. So I'll sort of reserve my, my thoughts, but I almost wonder, and it's not a perfect parallel. The more I've thought about it the last couple of years or a <laughs> couple of years, <laughs> the last couple of days, um, you know, we saw Everett Golson in twenty twelve be the dynamic playmaker that we kind of feel sort of like Brandon Wimbush is. There's obviously some I mean, there's some easy parallels to make there. And we saw Tommy Reese come in in certain instances, you know, seventeen to seventeen against Purdue, goes three of six in the final drive, but converts two crucial third downs and they win the game on a last second field goal. Um I had kind of actually forgotten, you know, everyone remembers the goal line stand against Stanford, but what got him to that goal line stand is, you know, Everett getting his bell rung with four minutes left and going into the concussion protocol and Tommy Reese coming in and going four for four for 70 some odd yards down the stretch. And, you know, that set up that goal line stand against Stanford. And he did it a couple of other games as well. But, you know, is there a chance maybe that we are going to see, you know, a Ian book substitution for a two minute drive where we're not necessarily worried about running the football. Uh, We don't care about Brandon's extra added ability to make plays, you know, after the pocket breaks down and that type of thing to run for six or seven yards, we want to throw the ball. So we're going to go ahead and we don't care about tipping our hand to a certain extent and throwing Ian book in the game. I mean, is that, is that possible in your eyes? Uh, Nathan, let's start with you.
3: Um, I don't know if that is is what he's thinking right now, per se. Um, I do think that that's the, there's a possibility of that down the road, and obviously he's shown he's willing to do that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are situations that arise that you know makes Brian Kelly feel like maybe books the better option in a certain situation, but. I, I don't see that being like, you know, he enters the game. And he's like, okay, if this and this happens, I'm putting Book in. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how Brandon Wimbush looks uh, to start the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe that's only a half of football. I mean, if he's playing poorly in that first half against Michigan, okay, maybe that maybe something changes when they go into the locker room. Not necessarily like where they put Book in immediately in, in the second half, but then maybe they start drawing up some play calls. Um, but I do think that Kelly's plan is to go with go with Wimbush as the starter and the only quarterback that he uses, unless you know something changes where he feels he has to go to Ian Book, and whether that's full time
1: or in certain situations.
2: Jack, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page. I think just given. Kelly's history, it's it's certainly a possibility that we can see something similar to what we had in 2012. But I just I I don't think that's necessarily what they want to do. Um At least I don't think that's a thought process going into the season. I'm of the belief that yes, they would pull Wimbush even in week one if he's not performing as well. But once they make make that switch, I switch. I think they want to then just sort of like just hand the reins over to book and need to sort of claim that job and and run with it. And if he does well, then he could be the starter for the remainder of the season. And if he starts to struggle again, then maybe they reevaluate and make the switch back to Wimbush. But so I, I I think it's more of just like a a one or the other um, and maybe a little bit less fickle than it was in 2012. And Part of that is just because the dynamics kind of different too. Um, I think that the combination of Golson and Reese, uh, even though, <laughs> I mean, you, you compare their playing styles it, are uh, vastly different, but because of that, they're, they're almost like complementary, and it, it just worked better that way with Wimbush and book. I, I think there are more similarities and because of that, I would uh, tend to believe that they want to go with just one or the other.
2: That's interesting. Um, you know, I think I was harder on the train of, you know, this could be a Everett Golson, Tommy Reese type situation a couple of days ago. And I went as far to, you know, write an article about it over at slap the sign. But, you know, and there are definite, like I said, there are definite parallels, obviously, you know, with Brandon and Everett, similar playing styles and with, uh, you know, Tommy being the more accurate passer when he was at quarterback and. Um, the same being with Ian Book. But I think that the major difference that some of you, I mean, both of you are alluding to, I guess, is that the reason, I guess, that Tommy Reese was so much more trustworthy in certain spots was because he could change the play, whereas Everett Golson wasn't able to do that. I mean, Tommy Reese would come in, and I went back and I watched, Um, I, I don't remember, I watched both the end of the... Um, the Stanford game that I referenced and the Purdue game. And I think it was in the Purdue game where, I mean, this didn't even show up on the stat sheet necessarily, but there was a play where the defense showed a certain look and Tommy Reese changed the play, changed protection. He's at the line, you know, all the way up until one second before the the play clock goes off and he, you know, lost the ball up to Tyler Eifert in one-on-one coverage and there was a pass interference. And that was a huge play in the game didn't show up in the stat sheet, but it was something that Everett Golson probably wouldn't have changed the play. He'd have ended up running theoretic into, you know, the middle linebacker that was clearly blitzing or whatever the situation was. I don't think, you know, that's a long winded way of saying that. I don't think that there's a difference in the mental understanding of the offense between Wimbush, I almost started to say the wrong name between Wimbush and Book. The way that there was between Golson and Reese, I think that Brandon has the same type of a handle, if not better than than Book, and that's maybe where the difference is. You know, you you don't, you know, part of what you were worried about with Everett Golson was that he didn't understand exactly what he was supposed to do on the play or how he could change it to to be better. You don't worry about Brandon Wimbush the exact same way, at least as far as what. Chip Long and Brian Kelly have told us thus far. So maybe that's where the difference is. And maybe that's why, you know, if Book replaces Wimbush, it's for, you know, the long term. Because you're not just doing it because you think you need a one drive type of a situation. Kind of like what Jack was saying. So, you know, just my thoughts. Here's the other question I wanted to ask you real quick. Um, How confident... And, Jack, I'm going to start with you first since we started with Nathan a couple times first. I want to get your opinion first on this one. Um, how confident are you in Brandon Wimbush ahead of this game against Michigan? Hmm.
1: Um, I mean, <laughs> I, so here's the thing. I think that like, said it uh, all. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously I'm, I'm not supremely confident in them. But I think a lot of that has more to do with how much respect I have for, for Michigan's defense than concerns I have for Brandon Wimbush. Um, now, obviously, I think the reason why some people's confidence in, in Wimbush is still a bit shaken. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of us were assuming that he was going to make a bigger leap, you know, in in, in the off season than he, than he has shown so far through spring and summer. And, I think he's going to be better than he was last year, but I think everyone was just hoping that he would, you know, be just be head and shoulders above Ian Book and you know claim that clear uh, starting job heading into Week One. So, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm confident that he will be better than he finished the year, but especially for for this first game, um, I mean, my confidence levels. Yeah, not <laughs> too crazy high just because of the opponent.
2: Okay, that's fair. Nathan?
3: Um, that's kind of a tough question. I think the easy way for me to put it is I'm not going to be confident until I see it on the field. And last year, at the end of the year, we didn't see it on the field. So I think until we see it in game action, or at least I see it in game action, I can't I can't confidently say that I'm you know, I have you know confidence in, in Brandon Woodbush to perform at a high level. Um, but like what Jack said, is I, I do feel more confident that in year two, as being a starter, that you know that he'll perform better. Um, and I and that's because that's true for most for most players in general. So in that sense, I'm confident. Um, but until until I see it, it's it's really hard for me to to have like this you know, huge confidence in Brandon Woodbush as a, as a passer.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm with both of you. It's, it's hard to really put your finger on how confident you can be because it, I think what Notre Dame fans were looking for was, okay, there was a rough season one. He's going to clean up some things in the off season. And it sort of sounded like, especially in the spring, things were trending that direction. And then it seems like in the fall, there was maybe a little bit of a fall off or maybe the things that, you know, or maybe back to old habits or, or whatever the situation might be. I, I don't know. It just seemed like the trend was upward really quick initially, and then it sort of fell off, and that doesn't give fans, I mean, that gives fans a reason for pause, I think. So I do, however, think that just because it is year two, I do think that there will be, obviously, an improvement from him. I'm encouraged by the thing that Brian Kelly keeps saying, and that's that, we, they last year would, they were calling plays based off who they wanted Brandon, they, or who they wanted Brandon to be. And this year, they're calling pr- plays more for his strengths. And that's encouraging to me because, I mean, I think to anyone rationally, you want to, you pick a quarterback who you're most comfortable with, and then you design an offense around his skills rather than you design an offense around, what you want your quarterback to do. I, I think that's pretty well common sense for a lot of people. But um, I, I don't know. I think that I they've accepted who Brandon is to a certain extent and they're they're gonna call the game as such. And what I think that probably means and we'll talk about this maybe is that there's gonna be a lot of designed runs for Brandon and I'm talking, you know, ten or twelve of them maybe. Um, especially because then you have book a guy that you're fairly confident in behind him. If he gets nicked for a play or two, or longer than that, so um, I don't know. There's been some interesting things said over the last couple of weeks that you know we'll we'll see how it all sort of uh, sort of plays out. Um, and I think this next question that I'm going to pose to both of you. Kind of plays hand in hand to this quarterback discussion, I guess that we have been uh, have been talking about. I mentioned sort of at the top that I'm a big time consumer of Notre Dame football content, whether that be from you know Irish Illustrated or 24 seven or whatever, everything that's out there. Irish Sports Daily, all those people do some really great work, and they see a lot of stuff at practice and stuff that you know guys like the three of us aren't necessarily privy to. Um, it seems like from listening to some of you know, some people that I would consider experts and respect that it's interesting that when people start talking about their win total and their projection of Notre Dame's record this year, it seems like, you know, to a certain extent, like nine and three is kind of the benchmark. And there's a little bit of variance where some people think, well, they could be slightly better than that in 10 and two, but it seems like lately the more, I don't know. The the more popular answer has been that, you know, 9 and 3 sounds pretty good, but the second most likely scenario is trending towards like the 8 and 4 type situation. And to me, and I'll kind of, you know, give my thoughts on this, first is that I don't know to a certain extent what has happened <laughs> over the last couple weeks. To sort of sour some people as to you know what, how this team's going to perform this year, I, I'm a proponent that you know I think last year when we were doing like a similar podcast before the first game of the year, I was saying you know I think this team's going to go nine and three, ten and two, and uh, obviously I was correct with the nine and three part. And this year I'm really more leaning towards ten and two, maybe if they really overperform eleven and one if they get lucky. And I, I don't feel – I felt that way for a while, and I don't feel differently lately. And I'm curious as to what you guys think and maybe also then why you um, – um, I don't know why you think others are souring towards Notre Dame to a certain extent. And uh, let's keep with the same order, and uh, let's start with Jack on this one.
1: Yeah, so I, I mean I really can't speak for some of the other reporters. Um, right. Right. Yeah, and honestly, I, I wouldn't know what, I mean, other than the, the conversation around the quarterback position. I'm not sure really what else would kind of make people uh, sort of change their mind and become more conservative with their their final record predictions. I've been of the belief for the large part of the offseason that they're going to finish the year 9-3. Um, but if you try to nail me down and, and say which – three games are they going to lose? I would say I have no clue. I kind of circle about six, maybe even seven of them on a schedule and say, yeah, we'll go four and three over these seven games. Um, I mean, it's really, maybe it's the fact that just the more you look at the schedule, the, the tougher you kind of realize it is. And um, just given their name's track record uh, in the latter parts of the season, especially in November, and then you, you look at their their travel schedule to end the year. It's, um, it's kind of easy to, uh, you know, have more concerns, uh, about how they're going to finish the season. But I would say I'm fairly confident that I think they can, um, certainly achieve nine wins in the regular season with a possible 10th coming in a, a, decent sized bowl game. Nathan.
3: Um, I think honestly, the reason people sour is Notre Dame has, you know, typically not given fans over the last, you know, fifteen, twenty years, the confidence that you know they're gonna finish eleven and one or you know or twelve and zero and you know and have that season outside of you know a few times. Um, And especially under Brian Kelly, it's only happened really once. And I think they've won ten games twice. And so, like in his nine seasons, he hasn't really given the confidence that they're gonna be a double digit win team. Um, you know, on a consistent basis. Um, for me, I mean, I'm kind of like Jack, and I think me and Jack have actually spoken about this in the past, is I've been pretty steady on my 9-3 and three prediction as well. Um, and I have, you know, there's definitely a few games where, you know, like I kind of like the same stretch that he's talking about where, you know, you kind of see them going 4-3 and three against those seven opponents. Um, and then outside of that, I, I think that, um, you know, when you really look at the schedule, and I didn't really realize this until actually I listened to the Irish Illustrated podcast the other day. Um, five out of their last seven games are away from Notre Dame, and
2: which is preposterous. Yes.
3: So yeah, exactly. So you and 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 coupled that with the fact that it's at the end of the season where they struggle um, typically in November, you know five out of those last seven games on the road or or at least away from notre dame you know doesn't give me the confidence that they're going to be able to go you know necessarily 10 and 2 11 and 1 um coupled with the quarterback situation as well or tripled i guess with the quarterback situation um so I i think that's where you know you get the uneasiness i don't necessarily see eight and four like i know some people are saying and i And I think the main reason behind that is, you know, you have people that as the season gets closer, they become more optimistic and as the season gets, and then there's other people when the season gets closer, they become, you know, more pessimistic. And I think some of the reporters that get to see Notre Dame practice on an everyday basis, you know, they might be on that more pessimistic side when they see, you know, one practice where maybe Brandon Wimbush isn't, you know, performing as well. So they're like, oh, okay, here we go again. He's going to have four or five games where he really struggles and they're not going to You know, it's going to be a a crapshoot whether they win. Um, I think for them to go eight and four, I mean, it would, Brandon will Bush would have to play very, very, very poorly. um, And they would have, and they would be, have to, they would have to become reluctant to go to Ian book, I guess. Um, Which I could see happening, but I, I don't know. I, I still lean more on the nine and three as their, their realistic floor.
2: For me, I guess listening to both of you, it comes down to I, I think a lot of this is almost stupid to say, but a lot of what their how their season is going to turn out, how their record is going to turn out, is what I was going to say before, and you maybe would have replied, "Well, duh." But you know, a lot of how their season is going to turn out is based off of how this first game is going to happen. Um, you know, I've said for a long time to to people who are. Having you know, we're having the conversation about you know nine and three versus ten and two, and maybe eleven and one. Other people, I guess, are having the conversation about whether or not they're going to be in the college football playoff and that type of thing. Um, and by other people, I just mean fans generally. Um, I think a lot of that, and I've said this to people who think that Notre Dame has is a is a contender this year, and I think they're close. Um, I don't know that I. I mean, it depends on your definition of contender, I suppose. But to get to my point, finally, I, I think it depends on how this game with Michigan goes, because you're just not. You know, if you say you realistically won't think that Notre Dame is going to contend, well, are they realistically going to win 11 straight games at any point this season? And I say absolutely not. I think you know to have a season where. You're minimizing the effect of what happens in November with that weird travel schedule and whatnot. You have to win this game against Michigan, and you know you might even argue that you have to win this game against Michigan to get to a New Year's Six Bowl at the end of the year. And um, that would probably imply like ten and two. So, um, I, eleven straight wins I don't think is going to happen. I <laughs> just to, like, and I don't think they're going to go eleven and zero and then lose to USC and you know what I'm saying like so I don't think they're gonna win the first 11 even if they beat Michigan either there's just there's just too much here on the schedule where they could trip up that you know um, I know one of our writers Sonny Martinez has been on the hardcore like watch out for Northwestern (laughs) um, for a long time and I, I tend to agree it's perfectly placed between Navy and Florida State, and it's an away game, and it's in the middle of that mess of a schedule and that type of thing. So, um, that's that's one to look out for. But as I sit back and I look at the schedule, you know, I, you know, this first Michigan game for me is a toss up. And you know, the good news though is that we've seen Notre Dame lose early in the season and then rebound the way that they did against Georgia last year, and then they rebound and won. I think it was seven in a row after that, or maybe it was six. I can't remember, but um, I I don't know. So I think to a large extent, we'll see, uh, we'll learn a lot about this Notre Dame team after week one, which is good and bad, but I don't know. I think that what we're going to see, regardless, win or lose, I I just have a feeling that we will be somewhat optimistic about what's going to happen, regardless of of that, um, I don't know. I I'm, and I'm going to stick to kind of my prediction of ten and two, with losses, you know, somewhere right smack in the middle of the schedule, and maybe at USC at the end. Um, um, and then maybe if they overperform, then we're they get lucky and we're talking eleven and one, and and we're going to uh, the college football playoff or something. I think that that the chances of that are pretty slim, but. You know, I tend to be on the more optimistic side and, and think that there is a chance. Let's just put it that way. So I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add to that part.
3: I was just going to say that I <clears throat> it's kind of like a dumbed- down version of of how their season could go in, a, in an optimistic sense is if they have the same defense or even a little bit better than last year, which I think their defense actually will be better than last year, and that for a variety of reasons. I agree. I think their defense is an 11 or 12 win unit, but Brandon Wimbush right now, the quarterback, or at least based off last year's standards, they're not an, That's not an 11 or 12 win offense. So, I, and I and I think the Irish illustrated the pod like the podcast that came out yesterday was sort of harping on this as well. And I, these were kind of my exact thoughts. If if Wimbush can perform at a level of like even like a 10 win unit on offense or not even like a nine or ten win unit on offense the defense can provide that 11th and 12th win because of how good they can be so if he can be good like sort of like he was last year at the beginning of the year where he wasn't turning the ball over they were super efficient in in the red zone um some of the accuracy issues and in reality didn't even come until later in the year i mean like they they were there but it wasn't to be extent that they were like he just kind of lost confidence if he can just if they can tailor the offense to his abilities which it looks like they're trying to do and he can perform at a little bit better rate than or even a lot better rate I guess than last year then you know then that there's no reason this team isn't you know a 10 to 12 win team it's just whether or not we have that confidence that Brandon Wimbush can come up from like a six or seven win offense to a you know nine or ten win offense
2: That's an interesting way of putting it. Jack, you have anything to add to that?
1: Uh, Not really. I was just going to say, I mean, it's college football, crazy stuff happens every year. So, I mean, there's always a a possibility that a program like Notre Dame can sort of shock some people and, you know, get off to a real hot start and wind up in the conversation for the college football playoff. I, I just wouldn't bet any money on it.
2: Okay. That's fair. Um, to sort of just wrap my thoughts, I guess, on the on the schedule and how I think it's going to play out. You know, to There are certain games on the schedule that I don't feel as if, you know, I, I don't have the anxiety about some of the games that some people have. So certainly I, you know, Michigan I have high anxiety about. Ball State should be a win. Vanderbilt, you count as a win. I don't think they're going to struggle too bad with Wake Forest, to be honest with you. Although it is really, you know, their first road game, and you know, generally, it's a
3: rookie QB though, too. So I, I'm not as worried as I would have been if it wasn't a rookie.
2: Absolutely, QB absolutely. But generally, Notre Dame does sort of struggle in their first real road game of the year. So it might not be pretty, but you know, I think we're talking in case of you know when they played at North Carolina last year or something of that nature. Like it. Gives a little bit of pause, but I I mean, I don't, you know, if they lose that game, I will be shocked. Coming back against Stanford, I just don't think that Stanford is going to be real great, to be honest with you. Um, I'll probably be eating my words at the end of the year, whenever having said that. You go to Virginia Tech, that's a, obviously Notre Dame hasn't performed real, real well in those types of uh, atmospheres before, but Virginia Tech just lost so much, especially on defense. I just don't know that, um, you know with no uh, Notre Dame's defense is going to keep them in a whole lot of games and I just think think that if it's a 50-50 type game that Notre Dame de- Notre Dame's defense is going to give them the edge and their offense is going to be good enough that's just how I feel and then like moving on then you got Pittsburgh after that I don't think you're going to lose to Pittsburgh at home I don't think you're going to lose the Navy even with the and that sort of starts the beginning of the travel schedule You worry about, I worry about Northwestern, but, you know, if you've beat Michigan in week one, that could be, you know, November 3rd could be the first game that you lose if you're following my scenario. Florida State, I just don't think is going to be good. I don't think you're going to lose to Syracuse, and then you worry about USC. So really, I worry about like two and a half or three games, to be honest with you, and then, you know, I think that you win, you know, if, if you're really a pretty good team you're going to win two of those three games that you're worried about you're going to win all the games that you should and you know maybe like i say you're sitting at 10 and 2 11 and 1 but you know i think we've talked to her blue in the face here and we're gonna you know i mean not come to a conclusion because the games aren't played on paper so To a certain extent, it's a moot point, but I guess it's, uh, it's worth talking about. So the last thing I want to say, or I want to ask, I guess, um, as we start to wrap up our final thoughts for this podcast in general, um, I want to talk about, you know, our predictions for how this game Saturday is going to, uh, is going to, uh, play out. And I actually was just a guest on a Michigan podcast, the Tom Green podcast. So shout out to Tom for having me on earlier today. Um, so I'll kind of repeat what I said, um, and that's that I think that this, um, and I've said this before, that this Notre Dame-Michigan game feels an awful lot like the uh, the Georgia game from last year. I don't think that, as I said on the podcast earlier today, that Michigan's defense has the, um, how do I put this, like the superior mutant-type athletes that Georgia's did, to be honest with you. I mean, they certainly have their share, but – it's they a have human diff- beans. Yeah, and it's a different type of stout defense than than Georgia's was. Georgia's was, you know, stout and just superior athletically. Um, Michigan has a little bit less of that superior athletically quality, I think, but still really, really very darn good. And to a certain extent, this is going to be a game where it's like the first to, to 20 is what a lot of experts have said. Um, if you've listened to, you know, like Irish Illustrated, for instance, I believe they say that all the time. Um, I think that it's going to be a game where and I gave my score prediction earlier today and I went 24 23 Irish so eager to hear what you guys say and uh, Nathan let's start with you on this one.
3: I think that for some reason I mean and I hate saying this because I do actually like I think my my realist self think it's thinks it's going to be a, a close game, but. I get this weird feeling that it's going to be like one of those games that surprises people. Like sometimes like we're Notre Dame, just like sort of like when they beat Michigan a few years back when it was like 31, nothing, it just surprised people. Now I'm not saying it's going to be like something to that extent. Cause I think I'd be idiotic to suggest that they're going to, you know, beat Michigan 31 or whatever, 37 to nothing. But I do think it's going to, there's going to be a little bit of shock involved and maybe that just comes with both teams providing a little bit more offense or, you know, one or the other providing a little bit more offense. I don't think it's going to be the low scoring game that everybody's suggesting. I, I, I want to predict something like 30 to, to, to 23 Notre Dame. And, you know, I'm even suggesting going a little bit higher just because I, I, I just get this weird feeling there's going to be like a shock factor in and it doesn't mean that that's how both teams are going to perform as the season goes on, but, you know, first game against one of your biggest rivals, you're renewing the series this year. Um, you know, Michigan's pissed off about the last time they played, and, you know, Notre Dame fans can't can't get rid of the jokes that, you know, 31 nothing, and, you know, I'm sure the players sort of, you know, play into that a little bit, too, but... More than anything, it's just, you know, first game of the season against one of your hated rivals. And I think there's going to be, you know, a little bit of a shock factor there on on some more offense. So I'll go, my my final prediction will be 30 to 23 Notre Dame.
2: I do think to a certain extent, just to piggyback off of what you just said, that there could be a situation where, you know, I, I do contend that I think that there will be some major mistakes by teams' offense in this game. And that could, you know, result in a pick six or a, you know, a short field for the opposing team's offense or something like that, and that could elevate the score a little bit, Um, and I think that it is going to come down to a certain extent to, like, which team can avoid those turnovers, and there could be a point in this game, kind of like, and I think this is what you're saying, is that it could snowball for one team or the other at some point where, you know, know, maybe it's a low-scoring game for a while, it's, you know, 13-13, but you know, say, for instance, Michigan implodes for two possessions and Notre Dame scores two touchdowns quick, and then it's a completely different game. So I could see that happening as well. So, Jack – I think and, a good
3: example is Michigan State game last year. I think that that's kind of like how it's going to play out. Sort okay,
2: of. yeah, good good comparison. So, uh, Jack, don't want to leave you out. You haven't talked in a while. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I was just going to echo what, what you were just saying right there. I think just because you have two um, – Two of the top defenses in the country on the field. A lot of people are going to go in thinking that's going to be a low scoring game, but got to remember it's college football. So there's bound to be those mistakes. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw multiple defensive scores throughout the game and it'll probably end up inflating the score a little bit. If not that, just, you know, get, giving the offenses some chances with short fields. Um, but I think if they were going to beat Michigan, this is one of the better spots to, to get them in the season. Um, you get them at home obviously uh, neither team has a warm-up game beforehand but Michigan um, has the much talked about Shea Patterson transfer from old Miss and so they have a new quarterback that they're trying to um, you know get acclimated with with their offensive system and with that there's always found to be some growing pain so yeah I, I mean I think if they had their choice this would probably be you know one of the top choices as to when they wanted to play Michigan this year to give them the best chance to get a win. Um, <laughs> I think the closer we get to game day, the more optimistic I'll get. Um, whether that's uh, you know based off any evidence or not, but um, but yeah, uh, I think that's it's it's a good spot to get them in.
2: No score prediction.
1: So I've been thinking somewhere along the lines of my initial prediction, my initial thoughts were something around 20 to 17. Um, I might tweak that to 20 to 16 just to take another touchdown off the board and add more field goals. Uh, but yeah, 2016, Notre Dame.
2: All right, Nathan, where can our listeners find you on Twitter?
3: My at name is Las Vegas Irish 9
1: And Jack? That's where you can find me. You can follow me on Twitter at Leniart underscore ND, and that's spelled L E N I A R T, not L E I N A R T, like that pretty boy from Southern Cal. He is pretty. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find me at B Belden, B-E-L-D-E-N is the last name, 330 on Twitter. Make sure that you're checking us out, especially on you know game day. We'll have some great content up over at Slap the Sign. It is you know Tuesday night as we're recording this. We've got stuff on the docket for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday leading up to the game. So whenever you're listening to this, make sure that you are then also going over to the website, checking us out, reading us, Um, I tell everyone that, uh, you know, I'm addicted to Chipotle. So anytime that you read my work, you're helping feed my Chipotle addiction. So, um, do that for me. That's great. Um, make sure that you're checking out the podcast as well, you know, at under the dome underscore ND, leave us a review on iTunes or Google play or wherever you're listening to us, check us out on Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of that stuff. And I always say that if we're not in a spot where you would like us to be to make it easier for you to listen to this podcast, let me know. I will uh, certainly accommodate and, uh, and go there. So thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, we're really excited. We're about four games out now and really just really raring to get going. So make sure you're tuned in all the way through Saturday and afterwards and through the rest of the season. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Irish.
0: Holiday tips and wine stories from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. There are
2: 10,000 wine grape varietals worldwide. Here's to thousands and thousands of gift possibilities.
3: Chardonnay paired with lobster mashed potatoes? Simply delicious.
0: I know just the right $10 bottle for your white elephant party. The most stolen gift award is yours guaranteed. As you check off that gift list this holiday season, we'd love to share our always
2: low prices and ridiculous selection at Total Wine & More. Cheers!
0: Of course, the Lexus Golden Opportunity sales event is about exceptional offers, but it's also about the luxury of versatility with space for the unexpected and the freedom of a summer day all coming together for you at the perfect moment. Don't miss your perfect moment to experience exceptional offers on a full line of Lexus utility vehicles. Now until September 3rd, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.